Hello, Dave Burse here from Additive. Okay, I'm spoiling you now. I only released the last podcast a couple of weeks ago. And, like bloody buses, there's another couple coming up right behind this one. So, I've got news. Really exciting news. Well, like, exciting for me, anyway. We've got a sponsor, and I'm not going to tell you who it is just yet, keep you in suspense, you see. But I shall be revealing it in the next couple of weeks. They're forcing me to do more regular podcasts, and giving me access to some fantastic people, and I'll get a little bit of pocket money out of it, too. If you're in London, I'd like you to keep an eye on Internet Week Europe, which is in November. I'm going to be involved in some amazing stuff around about then, if we can pull it off on time, fingers crossed. So what goodies do you have in store for us today, Uncle Dave? I hear you cry. Well, let me tell you, in reverse order. We've got Ryan Hall from Nice Agency. He's going to be sharing his top five tips on building multi-screen applications. That's building apps for mobiles, tablets, computers, and other devices to you. But first up, I managed to salvage the interview with Piers Fox from the wonderful PSFK blog. Yay! And the hassle I went through was all the impetus I needed to buy myself a lovely new Tascam digital recorder. So some good news has come out of it for Tascam. So to set the scene, it was a lovely sunny day in New York. I'd just done a talk up by Madison Avenue and I sauntered down to Soho to grab a coffee with Piers. We went back to the PSFK boardroom, opened a packet of biscuits that neither of us ate, and I merrily stuck a microphone in his face. And here are the results. I'm here in the PSFK offices in Soho, New York, with Piers. Hello, Piers. Hi, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Now, you're one of the top 200 blogs, according to Technorati. Um, can you give me a quick summary of how you got there? What was it that you did right to get so uh, to get such a good rating? Um, what happened? Um, I think we were I think we we were never satisfied with where we were at. So when you tell me that I'm in the top 200, I think, why aren't I in the top 100? <laughs> and then why aren't I in the top 50? And so I think there's a, been a perpetual dissatisfaction with where we're at and trying to improve what we do. Um, and that has been, there's been some sort of kind of uh, psychological changes to the way our brand thinks or we think as a people in the company. Um, from a very selfish, we started from a very selfish point of view in terms of what we were doing. We were producing content for us, and I think because of that selfishness, you know, people were attracted to that. And over time, today, we are trying to produce content for our audience, uh, the best content, still the best content we think the audience should, should read, um, rather than, you know, at the start it was content that we wanted to, we should read or our friends should read, you know. Now it's the, what our audience should read, and therefore we have, um, uh, we're more, I don't know, that, that drives us in some way. It was difficult to kind of to, to, to shift from there to become popular and make, you know, make popular decisions, but actually it then became actually a more interesting game for us. Because basically, 
we think about what do people want to read, what subjects they want to read, mm. um, how should we write it, what as what angle do we cover, um, and so forth. It becomes very interesting, become far more interesting uh, game or business for us because of that, mm. you know. So the next move is to push uh, Huffington Post off its position. Mm -hmm. our, job, our job is to um, become uh, an essential business read that uh, if you read three or four, well, basically today maybe you read 20 or 30 things a day to keep informed. We want to help that you narrow that down to five things and we would do really provide you with all the inspiration around creative business that you need. Mm -hmm. um, and you know all the kind of starting points for investigation, inspiration. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now I'm interviewing a few other people while I'm here in New York um, in, in the advertising industry, and it seems as if all of them come from the UK. Is there actually a, a British mafia within the advertising industry over here, or is it is it just complete chance? I think maybe all the people you've been interviewed introduced to have been a. Uh, English people have introduced you to those other English people, <laughs> maybe. Um, I mean, there was, um, there's a significant number of British uh, advertising executives in the city. I would say that number has dwindled with visa issues. It, it feels that way, you know. A lot of the people that I know have been here for a while now. It's kind of, it's fairly difficult to, it was always difficult to get, uh, to, to live and work here but I feel it's getting more difficult to do so. Um, the planning community traditionally, for better or worse, hires a lot from a British base. Um, the digital community or the creative community hires digital people who are British often, um, who have, uh, because, of, because of a, for a number of different reasons, but there may be a stronger sense of exploration in the UK and in other European countries than in the US. You have the, luckily with the US you have this great opportunity which is scale. Um, when you have a smaller market you have to try different things at different cost points, you know. Mm. Now the market's changing here that, you know, you need to, you need to explore all these matters, you know, and you have obviously challenges, whether it's financial challenges and so forth, so you want to be just as creative and you want to re reach and engage the same sort of audiences, um, but you have a different, you know, you don't have that money to do so. Now, you worked in the advertising industry in the UK and you're now an observer to the industry over here as well as uh, other industries, um, other territories around the world. What differences do you see between the UK advertising industry and the one in the States? There's a definitely, obviously, and I think this is just has always been said. You know, there's a greater focus on uh, business, on the effectiveness. There may be, you know, the creativity aspect and the storytelling. I mean, that's probably American business by and by. You know, it's always been there's been a huge there's been a huge opportunity when you to to if you break through because of the volume of people here, and so you haven't always had to rely on great creativity. And great design. Now, what we've seen in the in the last few years is companies, brands using creativity, whether it's design or storytelling um, or brand stories, you know, uh, brand depth, depth in brand, to differentiate themselves. Mm -hmm. um, 
whether that's a company like Method Soap disrupting the um, soap business over the last 10 years, or, you know, J. Crew changing, you know, moving from a catalogue supplier of everyday garments to, you know, a curator, style, a style guider, guiding, you know, somebody who guides style or something like that. Um, it, and they do that through kind of certain sort of, you know, deep understanding of a brand that they have developed. Mm. Um, so how does that affect the advertising business? You know, the British advertising business has... There are some great... There have been positives and negatives by the, um, driven by the fact that it is an island. And um, the positive is that they can ignore the rest of the world and just get on and do their thing and, you know, and try to do it as well as they can. The negative is that they ignore the rest of the world and therefore their thing could just become a, a cliche because everyone does it. It's very tribal, I think, in UK advertising industry, UK creativity. And so, you know, once something becomes the hip thing to do, everybody does it, you know? Um, and you don't have, really have that tribalism here. You have copying in America, but you don't really have the tribalism where everyone agrees that this is cool and then you do that, you know? And then, obviously, London is a great crossroads of culture. Um... But I don't know whether the creative advertising industry um, picks up on the internationalism that uh, of London and borrows from ideas and you know gets inspired by ideas that are just on its doorstep. Um, in the same way that like New York is an, is an island too, but uh, is a very small island and uh, it's an island that's a mountain. You know, it's a mountain island where you can see, we gather so much from here: Japan, South America. Um, Europe for sure, um, and we can take all that inspiration and use it. Yeah. Now, as somebody who lives in the trend spotting space, what are the things that you're finding most exciting? What's the hot topic of the moment? Whether we like it or not, we can't get away from uh, technology and how technology is uh, changing us. And sure, we can always look at more analog movements, slow food. Other things, you know, um, um, but um, it's, what's interesting is how technology is tr helping us live better lives, um, good lives, I suppose, whether it's, it allows us to share a product, um, share services together, um, whether, um, yeah, whether we can live more environmentally friendly because of data and the data, the data exhaust we leave and so forth. There's a whole load of, like, using data to be better, uh, personally, as a community, as a country. Uh, there's something really interesting there. Um, but obviously it has those um, sort of uh, privacy issues and things like that. But, um, but there's definitely advantages which, um, you know, and obviously there's lots of startups here in the US who are exploring kind of how do you manipulate data exhaust um, and other kind of data to um, to for the benefit of people and benefit of communities? Is there anything you've seen recently that's really blown you away? No. <laughs> um, I don't, do you know? I don't know if I get blinded. Um, what did I see today? But have I seen anything today that blew me away? I mean, we publish about 50 times a day now. 
uh, mix of headlines and main stories. Um, what's blown me away is how everyone's got around um, the idea of a Chinese artist being locked away um, and being able to share that, share the protest uh, in a constructive way uh, internationally. And so this person is probably not that well known. Um, his work might be well known, you know, from the turbine hall, highway uh, ways um, work. How you know, uh, everyone in the creative community seems to be rallying around uh, the release of, uh, you know, this artist. You know, you seem to be mentioning a lot of things that are to do with uh, social responsibility, environmental policies. Um, and people's impact on the world. Is, is that something that you see as, as a big, important social change at the moment, uh, an area that's ripe to be looking at in terms of for, for brands as well? Here's the story. What, every day I come into work and I say to my managing director, why aren't we writing more about brands and creative business? Uh, because that, those stories drive traffic, okay? His response is, you know, that's not where the innovation is. You know, so we can always look. We can write. You know, often the the best we can do is write about someone's ad campaign. You know, a brand's advertising campaign, or maybe a retail experience. But really, in the majority of cases, the innovation is coming from either uh, grassroots or from tech, the tech industry, or something like that. Okay, from a new business. Um, so. Um, so what we're seeing is disintermediation where people are connecting with each other without the role, without the need of traditional organizations, brands, um, organize, you know, companies. People can Kickstarter. People can raise money, money from, uh, from each other rather than go to a VC or go to a bank. And they can like, get some money and, and get a project started. People can exchange their um, foreign currency. You go, you come home, you have two hundred dollars left from from your travel. People can sell that, rather, you know, rather than take it back to the bank and then get ro you know robbed. Yeah. They can sell it to somebody else who's about to go to the U.S. There's technology, mobile and digital, is allowing. Um, the, you know, provides so allows us to create services that doesn't that don't need the traditional infrastructure that a corporation brings. Yeah, and so you don't need these things. You don't need these brands, you know, so anymore so much. You know, um, so whether that's distribution points like retail, or whether it's um, you know services like banking and so forth, you know, they all have to be reconsidered. What's happened in the music industry? It's going to happen in every other business. We see it obviously in other entertainment, media industries, film, wherever. But that's also going to happen in finance. It's going to happen in. Um, it's going to happen in food. It's going to happen. In, you know, everything digital is going to. The democratize democratizing power of this new media is going to allow um, kind of a new way of us kind of interacting with each other. It's not to say there will always be some the older companies and there'll be other ways to do that. Um, it will just give us brand new options, you know. And with this sort of democratized, democ I can't even say the word, with this, with this uh, democratization that technology is uh, offering us and, and the way that people are 
cutting out the intermediary, which would be traditionally where the corporation would be. Are you seeing any opportunities for brands there? Is there anything that, that brands are doing to, to fill in this space, to try and redefine their role with, uh, with the consumers? Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel that um, people don't... People, I mean, there's an argument that the brands provide these services. Um, but sometimes I feel that people don't want the brands to get in the way. But there's a way that brands can like piggyback and be involved in these services, um, somehow provide extra benefits and so forth. But I feel sometimes that um, you know, just because we can now there's peer-to-peer lending, does that mean that Tesco should offer a peer-to-peer lending service because they is in- interrupting their their loan systems? I don't think so. You know. Um, so I don't know. It's, I mean, it's an interesting time for brands and what role brands play and organisations play and stuff like that. Yeah. With these kind of changes, do you think the advertising industry or maybe just brands in general are making the most of the opportunities that they have at the moment in terms of technology and social change? Well, I think probably most organisations are structured in a way that can't take advantage of uh, technology. Um, beyond seeing it as a marketing medium or a customer service medium, just because of the nature of their, their structure. You know, um, you have marketing people who are dabbling in the internet space, and most of their, their mindset is, tends to be campaign led. We have a story to give out this quarter, you know? Um, and it's fine, there will always be a room for a, a, a campaign or something, you know, a story to tell once in a while for, for, to engage an audience. but. Um, are those marketing professionals a skilled um, to deal with a far more interactive space um, and b do they have the connections with the rest of the organisation can they lead the rest of the organisation to kind of interact with that you know to channel inquiries and other sort of requests whether it's sales service and so forth that's going to result from their activity I think you know the reason people so many brands like go to Twitter you know, or something like that is it's such a shallow communication device you like you can't really complain that your your seat and your plane actually was cold uh you know and get a discount or there's no there's no there's no real interaction all you can do is like shout at them as much as they're shouting at you um it's a sort of pub- it's like a public service announcement in an airport. You know, you just you hear standard sort of statements, and from time to time they tell you that someone's lost. Please come and meet your party. There's, there's an element of personalisation, but it's, it's it's such a shallow way to kind of provide customer service in many ways. You know, I don't know. You know, and I think that's the advantage of these smaller brands, these start-up and challenger brands, is that they can. Uh, they construct themselves in a way that takes advantage of the technology, whether it's for their logistics, uh, whether for the service, the sales and everything else, the marketing. Um, it allows them not to do traditional advertising because it can, can create kind of community relations and stuff like that. Um, but, um, you know, but the, you know, the opportunity probably is um, for those bigger brands to buy these smaller brands. And... Um, uh, eat them up and change because of them, you know? Yeah. You are what you eat. Do you think there's any organisations at the moment that really are getting it, who are 
actually understanding their audience enough to be to be serving them in a uh, serving them in a useful way rather than just shouting at them. I don't know if there's a brand that holistically has changed to like in a modern way. So obviously we, I mentioned J Crew, the uh, clothing store, the retail chain, and it has some wonderful. Um, it's driven, you know, the way it understands its brand and the way it presents its products is very advanced. It has some nice service uh, touches, such as uh, the red telephone in every store, which basically connects you to somebody who's on the internet site. But it's not the same as Zappos, you know, which is this sort of um, shoe um, and apparel company, which, you know, it tries to guarantee you happiness, like 365-day guaranteed returns, um, you know, hassle-free shopping and everything else. Or it's not the same as... Uh, what you know, it's Amazon. You know, where's the referral? Where's where's the? If you like this, what about this sort of thing? Um, so I kind of you know, everyone's doing bits. You know, there's lots of companies that are doing very interesting. Parts of their business are doing very interesting things. But there's an, there's an opportunity for like some of these smaller companies to turn into mega brands mm. and offer like a, a modern product and a modern service. Mm. Looking at the future of the the industry, there's certainly there's a lot of traditional agencies have seen their their profits dipping quite drastically over the last few years, and if that trend continues, then I don't know are they viable businesses anymore? Mm -hmm. um, is there is there a future for the industry? Do you, could you sort of uh, envisage what that future could possibly be? Uh, is it something that agencies can evolve to, or is there a much more uh, radical change that's needed? Yeah, I guess kind of one of the big changes that seems to have taken place is uh, most advertising agencies and digital agencies seem to have gone into the PR game. Um, at the end of the day, uh, this big chase for earned media to create experiences which um, aren't paid for, it's a PR game. PR have always been doing this, and they're, and they're good at it. And there's, there's a role, but, you know, I think you're talking about a lack of... Um, Revenues or challenging revenues. Maybe it's because you know, no one, no one's spending any money. Further, you know, there's no media spends anymore. You know, less media buys. And of course, lack of money does does um, allow some sort of creativity, pure creativity. Um, I just think that this sort of tribal dash towards earned media, or they call it something else, something planning. Um, uh, kind of like you're forever rolling the dice about whether your campaign's going to work and whether your project's going to work or whatever your branding's going to work and you're not realising there's a bigger contribution there's, you know let us, let us marvel at the viral success of some of these campaigns but then let's also understand that Apple is a company that ensures that uh, it has traditional advertising which is supposed to be as good as its product, okay? And so, um, and it spends money and does traditional advertising and everything else. And let's understand there's a full mix of uh, communication and interaction sort of devices and channels there. Um, so anyway, I didn't know what I was saying. I kind of like, you know, I just sort of, 
everyone wants to do stuff for free, I suppose, right now. And as a publisher, as you know, as a, on the publishing side, it's like it can be frustration. It's frustrating that all your ad agency friends want you to write about stuff, but they want you to uh, don't want to run any advertising on your sites. And you go, well, what happened there? And now, you know, I've got, I've, I now accept it. I've done my therapy. I accept that all my advertising friends aren't going to advertise on my site, but. Um, uh, you know, if they were my PR friends, I'd understand. That's their game. But you know, they've just got into the PR game, um, and I don't think they're that good at it. <laughs> you know? Do you think the most important changes that we've, we're undergoing at the moment are technological or um, changes in consumer behaviour itself, more sort of sociological? I think you know, branding is important. You know, as a company, I am conscious of our brands and how we present ourselves in everything we do. I think that is important. Um, but there's a shift in power. You know, people read PSFK, like PSFK, hopefully, because we do something for them, and which is basically we give them free stuff every day and we create great content for them. Um, we give them great stuff which they can use. Um, but we can't, you know... I can't advertise. I can't advertise to get that sort of brand loyalty, that following. It's you know, and I think, you know, companies, big brands, people are more interested in other things. We have other opportunities. You know, how many people watch TV in the evenings? The TV might be on, but they're all they're all looking at their laptops, their iPads, and stuff like that, and they're engaged in other experiences. Um, we don't need these brand. We don't need brand entertainment or. The brands in our life so much. We have, we have Twitter or whatever it is. We have Facebook. Yeah, where's the where's the brands in Facebook? Little pop-up ads in the bottom right-hand corner. No one reads. Yeah. So the the whole idea here, well, what started here in New York and uh, with, with Bill Bernback was that he said that creativity was what you needed to be able to cut through from the rest of the crap that was out there. Mm. That was the thing you needed to be head and shoulders above everything else to get mm. the attention. These days, is creativity the way that we need to get attention, or is targeting a better way to get attention? Well, I suppose the answer is both. Isn't you know for us, it's sort of like when we do work that talks to an audience, we have to find you know, a we have to understand what our audience is, create content for our audience, and then um, you know, just make and then make sure that they're aware of it and everything else, and you know, make the best content for that audience, which sounds very like obvious, but don't think that's always the case, you know. Um, I think they're just kind of better ways to communicate with people, whether you know, make you know, way, better ways to make them smile, make them give them something useful, um, help them, inform them, educate them. Um, and there's times to like take a step back and not be involved in their lives and stamp, you know, wave a flag around and talk about your brand when it's irrelevant, you know? Creative at the right time. It's a little bit like, you know, if, I'm right, once, if I want to ride a if I want to buy a motorbike, I want to buy, uh, uh, in the week before I might buy the motorbike, I would need all the information possible. I need everyone selling to me as much as possible. As soon as I've bought my motorbike, everything needs to stop. And I don't need in 12 months, don't really need in 12 months' time or any, you know, a lot of more sales and marketing or anything else. I don't need banners to follow me, selling me ad, uh, banner, uh, bike ads. Maybe in three years' time, maybe, or something like that. But, you know, 
it sort of, I, you know, it it allows to kind of allows people to have, you know, the right conversation at the right time, and that's what technology is allowing. And that technology might just still still allow you to have the right television ads at the right time. Maybe I don't know. You know, it doesn't have to, the media doesn't always have to change, but you just become far more. You understand your customers better, you know, and you become. Far, it might allow you to become far more in tune with your customers. So finally, if there's one piece of advice that you had for brands or for advertising professionals to leave them with, what would that one piece of advice be? I mean, you know, our big thing right now is to, to create branded content, create content which is a win for uh, the audience, win for us, and win for the brand, you know, and that is, you know, it's interesting and valuable, culturally or educationally or something like that. And I think, uh, and it is a thing that's underexplored uh, in many areas. But right, I suppose it's uh, the advertorial is it sort of wicked stepsister or something like that. But um, it is um, there is a way that um, brands can be cult- be culturally relevant to the right audiences through creating content of some sort with in partnership with the people who have that audience and people who create content for that audience. Piers, thank you very much indeed for your time. Great, thanks. If you haven't already, stick psfk.com into your bookmarks. It's a great way to see the most innovative stuff in the industry as it happens. Right, now on to our top five tips with nice agencies, Ryan Hall. Rarely does an agency name suit it so much. I, I think it could only be beaten for aptness if one of my old employers renamed themselves Arsehole and Arsehole Limited. I, I won't name any names. Nice Agency are amazing application developers. They've done apps for Pete Tong, uh, Guinness, and most recently they did Channel 4's 4OD iPad app. Uh, They know their onions, so I asked them to pick out five of their tastiest ones. And here they are. My first top tip for delivering a successful multi-screen application is know your competition. Really understand what features and functionality your competitors or your client's competitors already offer in the market. But more importantly, look outside of the market. If you're trying to deliver an application for the retail, retail space, look at what people are doing outside of the retail space around monetization and how they're engaging customers to drive revenue. My second top tip for delivering an application is know your audience. Understand who they are, their demographic, but more importantly, which devices they use. Not everyone has an iPhone, not everyone has an iPad. Also understand their user behavior. How are they going to use your app? Where? Why? And what, what is the key driver for them to actually engage with your client's brand? 
My third top tip is define the vision. Create a statement which yourself and the client can both subscribe to that is aspirational and that really articulates and sums up the actual application in one succinct statement. My fourth top tip is define your roadmap. Work closely with your client to define the detailed requirements which are going to build up a phased approach for delivering your application, but also which screens you intend to target. It's about being adaptable, it's about being flexible with your client, but as importantly, it's about understanding that no, no idea is a bad idea. My fifth and final tip is be collaborative. Get into the design early on in the process. Liaise with your client, involve them in the process, use pen and paper to sketch out your concepts and make mistakes early before you get too detailed in your design process and most certainly before you even touch any code. it for this episode. In the soon to be released next episode, the last of the New York trilogy, we've got Spencer Osborne, MD at Ogilvy in New York. And then we're going to be announcing the first of a sponsored series of podcasts. And that gives me a little thrill of excitement just thinking about it. In fact, I'm off to giggle quietly in a corner while you listen to the rest of the theme tune. Thanks for popping by. Ciao, Bella. Mwah.